What's going on guys, it's your man with the plan, Samuel Plan, coming back at you once again with another brand new installment of Sports Entertainment is Dead right here on Lords of Pain Radio. Thanks for tuning in guys, if you missed last week's episode you can still go catch that on demand, the way to do it is very simple, head over to Spreaker, head over to lordsofpain.net and you can catch my last episode of SCID on demand, you can also do it through your usual podcast provider as well. Please also make sure you check out all the other great shows here on Lords of Pain Radio. We have stuff coming to you each and every single day of the week, covering everything from New Japan Pro Wrestling, Ring of Honor, TNA, Indie Circuits, British Wrestling, you name it, we've got coverage for it. So do make sure you check out all the wonderful shows. You can do so by subscribing. Don't subscribe to Lords of Pain Radio, but do subscribe to each of our shows by their individual name, and that way you can make sure you don't miss a second of the great coverage we've got for you here on Lords of Pain Radio. It is another week in my ongoing project for Sports Entertainment is Dead Year 2. If, of course, you're unfamiliar with it, and this is the first time you're tuning in, I take a guest host every single week and we explore a match chosen quite at random, historically either by myself or said guest, to explore the themes, the creative merits, the character, the narrative, its historical importance, anything that we think is worth commenting on. It's all inspired by my book, 101 WW Matches to See Before You Die, which you can still go ahead and buy on Amazon anywhere in the world. And, of course, it's also the inspiration behind my second incoming book, which will be a direct sequel to 101, but will be focused specifically on the new generation era. Both of these books explore many of the benefits that come with watching your professional wrestling as performance art rather than as sports entertainment, which, as the title of my show implies, is, in my belief, dead. That's what these match explorations aim to do as well. And this week, we have another. Back from last week... He was here to talk about Jake the Snake Roberts and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat in their snake pick match. This week he's back to help me talk about a match that took place only a couple of months after last week's pick. It's Chad the Doc Matthews. Welcome back again, Chad. Thank you for having me. Glad to be back. Excited to talk about this one. This is a favorite of mine. Absolutely. Um, I'll be honest, uh, folks, this was my pick this week, and I did kind of pick it in part because I knew that Chad is a big fan of this particular uh, storyline, rivalry, whatever you may want to call it. Uh, And uh, we're talking about Hulk Hogan versus Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, specifically their steel cage match for the WWF Championship uh, on Saturday night's main event, 3rd of January, 1987. And... I'm, I, I want you to start us off here, Doc, because if memory serves, this is a match and a rival, well, not a match, but a rivalry, certainly, that you talk, uh, I think, with great passion about in your latest book, uh, The Greatest Matches and Rivalries of the WrestleMania Era. So do you want to set the stage a little bit for us about uh, what led to this match, but also the significance that this rivalry has historically, which I know is something that you have um, some some strong feelings about? I do, and this is a match that is discussed in the greatest matches and rivalries of the WrestleMania era, which is now available as an audiobook. So check that out wherever you get your audiobooks from. Uh, so here's the deal. If you set the stage going back to WrestleMania 1, 1985, you've got the issue that leads into the tag team match that main events that show, the first WrestleMania, big historic match. It's Orndorff 
and Roddy Piper against Hogan and Mr. T. Well, because of that scenario, branching off of it, Roddy Piper blames Paul Orndorff for basically messing up what he wanted to accomplish in that setting. So they become, do Hogan and Orndorff, they become uh, united by their, their, their equal dislike of Roddy Piper. So that forges a, a friendship as you move into 1986 between Hogan and Orndorff. And what we see is one of the stories that is one of, it's truly, it's one of the best played out angles of the 1980s WWF. And it's somewhat, I think, overshadowed by the fact that, 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 that Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan form a comparable alliance, and then it leads to the mega powers exploding. But this was a bit of a test run for that, for Hulk Hogan, you could say. Uh, Hogan and Orndorff, they, they're elevating themselves to the top of the WWF in 1986. And what happens? Paul Orndorff gets jealous. And Paul Orndorff's jealousy leads to a, a big-time heel turn, a big-time shift back to his original character, we'll say, for the purpose of sticking with a more performance art-based thought process. Paul Orndorff just simply does not want to be in the shadow of Hulk Hogan, doesn't believe he should be, wants the same opportunities, doesn't think he's going to get them, and reunites with Bobby Heenan. Bobby Heenan then carries Paul Orndorff as the lead member of his Heenan family stable throughout the rest of 1986, leading to a series of matches, some of which are actually very, very, very historical in nature. One that drew 70,000 people into the Toronto Exhibition Outdoor Stadium in Canada. So this is the culmination of that feud. It's, it's, it's Orndorff and Hogan in a steel cage match for the WWF Championship. And, you know, I can't remember the exact line that I used in my first book, the, 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 the WrestleMania era, the book of sports entertainment, which is still available. It's out there. It's got three editions. It ranks the, the 90 greatest wrestlers of all time, and it's fun. But in that chapter I wrote about Paul Orndorff, I made very strong reference to the idea that if it were not for the feud that he had with Hulk Hogan, then Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant would not have been as big of a deal. Hulkamania, in order for, uh, for it to be at its peak to face Andre the Giant, it, it needed this feud with Paul Orndorff to get it there. And so I'm a huge fan of the cage match. I'm a huge fan of the feud. I think it is perhaps one of the forgotten gems of an era that really is uh, it, given the boom period attached to it. It's not like the Hulkamania rock and wrestling era is not well thought of, but for an era that was really all about character and all about uh, the quality of the storyline, some of the most iconic storylines of all time have come from that era. This one seems to get, pushed to the back burner and I can't honestly tell you why but maybe it's because Orndorff has a bad attitude I don't know but you know how <laughs> WWE is with its revisionist history if they don't like you in the moment so absolutely um I think with that and I think you've you've sort of touched on it in that setup there as well you know obviously it would be immediately pretty much followed by Hogan Andre which was an uh 
you know, arguably the iconic rivalry in wrestling history, and it would then later be followed further by comparable stuff with Savage. Uh, so perhaps it just it it kind of has been um, overshadowed. And I think that anything pre WrestleMania three tends not to get talked about a lot by the company anyway. Uh, I think if if you know, if if you weren't otherwise aware of the fact that WrestleMania three wasn't their first pay per view, you would be forgiven. If you went strictly on the way WWE present their history, you'd be forgiven for thinking that the company came into existence with WrestleMania three. Sometimes, it's and not- indeed, the well, lack of a the lack of a setting like WrestleMania in in my book, I reference that if this had taken place at the hypothetical first Royal Rumble. If Royal Rumble had come into existence in 87 instead of 88, and this was one of the featured matches on the card, then I think it gets remembered the way I, I, I would, I, I hope, I end up, I, well, I'm going to say this, I hope that we can agree it deserves to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, one of the, the questions that I've written in my notes here that I wanted to ask you Um I've written in the past, obviously I'm a huge, as anyone who listens to the show knows, it follows me on social media, reads my stuff, knows I don't stop harping on and on about the new generation era. Uh, and one of the things that I uh, firmly believe about the new generation is you look at pay-per-view like King of the Ring 1996 and the Shawn Michaels British Bulldog match that headlines that show. I've often referred to King of the Ring 96 as the other WrestleMania because I think it, it carries with it a certain uh, production design uh, and a number of great matches on the card that uh, make it feel a little bit like a WrestleMania of its age. Uh, but most specifically, that main event match between Michaels and Bulldog could, I think, comfortably fit the bill of a show-closing match at a WrestleMania. And so what I wanted to ask you was, um, is Hogan versus Orndorff the mania headliner that never was? When you consider that uh, just... Uh, under a year before this, Hulk Hogan was wrestling King Kong Bundy in a steel cage for the WWE Championship match in the headlining bout of WrestleMania 2, for example. And just two months later, Hogan would be wrestling someone who had been a dear friend of his in the headlining match for the WWF title of WrestleMania 3. Um, and going on everything that you said at the top of the show, everything you write about this rivalry in your book, um, it strikes me that it was kind of, uh, you You speak about Royal Rumble, but it, it was kind of a lost opportunity historically for it to have slotted in between two WrestleManias. Absolutely. And I think in, a, in, a, in, a, in an alternate universe, if Vince McMahon doesn't decide, I'm going to try to sell out Pontiac Silverdome in a manner of, I think it was eight weeks from the decision to put it in the Silverdome to actually you know, opening bell time when they, when the, when that show began, which is crazy to think about considering how far in advance they plan all that now. But if they had chosen, say the, the Joe Lewis arena in Detroit, instead of the Pontiac silver dome, just outside of Detroit, I could, I could conceivably see this match between Orndorff and Hogan taking place at WrestleMania three instead which is kind of fascinating to think about, but it had all the makings. It had proven it could draw the ratings for this for this particular Saturday night's main event. I believe it was the third highest Saturday night's main event rating they ever had. So, I mean, the Hogan and Orndorff was hot, and it could have easily main evented a WrestleMania. And if even if they'd had sped up the timeline and they'd put it at the as the main event of WrestleMania 2, which was a cage match between Bundy and Hogan that was really... 
Bundy's a big guy and he's associated with Bobby Heenan, so let's do it for the title. I mean, there's none of the actual backstory or intrigue was there for Bundy versus Hogan by comparison to Hogan and Orndorff. So a forgotten or, or, or a, the, the, the WrestleMania main event that never was, if I ever write another wrestling book, I'll quote you and I will say exactly that. <laughs> uh, do I get royalties? <laughs> we'll negotiate that <laughs> um, anything's negotiable <laughs> um, okay well I, I mean I don't like to as someone who who um, is is something of a of a historian I don't like to go too far down the rabbit holes of, of alternative histories but in this alternative history uh where this was a, a feud that headlined, say, WrestleMania three, uh, could it have have created the same sturdy foundation for what the company would go on to have become um, years later? Do you think it may not have necessarily had the same sense of larger than life scope in terms of seeing Andre the Giant, you know, against Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant taking a clean pin in the middle of the ring? Um, but everything that you've said about the story design, uh, which to me feels uh, wonderfully contemporary. You know, you've got a sense of identity theft with uh, Paul Orndorff going around calling himself the real, you know, the actual real American. He comes out to Hogan's music and the like. Uh, you've got that sense of a, a ruined friendship. It's a big rubber match to end a lengthy feud. You even have a crooked official in this particular match in the form of Danny Davis. So there's a lot of stuff that we still see, you know, in, in comparable matches uh, today that the Andre feud didn't necessarily have at least at the stage by the time you get to WrestleMania three. So I wonder whether it would have been a sturdier foundation if for slightly different reasons. Sturdy foundation. I, I think we can confidently say yes. Um, groundbreaking. Okay. Groundbreaking. All the things that we typically associate that intangible sort of quality of Hogan versus Andre with. I don't think we could say that. Sturdy, yes. I think Hogan versus Orndorff more than proved itself on other stages, drawing the ratings it did, filling the seats as it did in places like Toronto, which I don't know that WWF at that time would have been expected to be able to go to Toronto and sell 70,000 tickets, but it did. And Hogan versus Orndorff was the main event. But the groundbreaking part, if we rephrased it a bit, I don't think we can say that would have translated because Here's the thing about Paul Orndorff, and this is why even in a book that dedicated itself to to being all about trying to rank and file the greatest of all time in the WrestleMania era matches and rivalries, Paul Orndorff was not charismatic enough to give you that kind of dynamic that would uh, of the Savage and Hogan or, or Andre and Hogan variety he i mean he the things that they do with him in this feud really play to his strengths he is very good in the role that he plays bobby heenan needs to be given a lot of credit too though because bobby heenan essentially like he did for andre did a lot of the talking for him and did a lot of the antagonizing uh he did the verbal side of it that got under people's skin um, that got under Hogan's skin so well in that era. So I don't think Orndorff was, was had enough of that, of that ability to, 
you know what I'm saying? It's like it, actually one of the things that came to mind when you brought that up was you remember when Dolph Ziggler uh, aligned with Vicky Guerrero? Mm. I mean, if you had taken Vicky and Dolph Ziggler and put them in the roles that Edge and Vicky Guerrero had a few years prior, I don't think you get the same caliber of success. You don't build the same caliber of career because Dolph Ziggler's not Edge. He's very good in the role that he played in that in that in that span of time, just like Orndorff was and paired with Bobby Heenan. But, um, you know, capable. Yes. But groundbreaking. No. OK, I think that seems like a, a, a fair assessment. And, and certainly the impression that I got off, uh, of Orndorff as a performer who, as a fan I'm largely unfamiliar with his body of work. I wouldn't say that I know a great deal about Paul Orndorff's career, even in uh, WWE. And, you know, if you go back as recently as, say, 12 years ago, I probably wouldn't have even been able to have picked him out of a crowd, quite honestly. It's someone, he's a performer who, uh, curiously, has sort of uh, found his name kind of... um, not erased from history, but it's certainly very, 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 very far back in the queue of names that that WWE like to to talk about today. Um, And, you know, I was probably a testament to that at one stage. Um, Let's, uh, okay, so we've we've talked at length about the rivalry and about the storyline. Let's talk a little bit about the match. Uh, I had never seen this match before, uh, before I sat down to watch it for the purpose of this show. I'm excited to hear what you have to say. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And it, it was, it was Hogan matches are a hard sell for me. Um, generally speaking, not, you know, universally, but for the most part, I tend not to enjoy them quite so much. Um, but, because mainly not because of you know I'm I'm someone who needs heavy work rate or anything in a match, but Hogan so often to me performed like you know I your dad thinks wrestlers perform rather than performing in the way that I like to see wrestlers perform, but uh, with the you know with the facial expressions and the reactions and all the rest of it. But nonetheless, um, I really enjoyed it. And one of the reasons I really enjoyed it was because it was, in my opinion, it was unexpectedly. Uh, uh, brutal. Um, I, d- I don't want to say uh, ahead of its time. I, I'm not necessarily sure that's the right phrase, but it was certainly very brutal. There were there were elements to the match design that that felt very much like they would fit in their contemporary setting today, um, and it was one of the more I felt one of the more uh, multifaceted title matches from you know that big boom period where Hogan was the guy um, because you know that Hogan cuts a promo um, sort of ahead of the match which really kind of bigs up the brutality of the stipulation it, it's I mean it's the it's the weird cage that's made out of big iron bars instead of the the mesh uh, but it doesn't stop them from really engaging in something that's actually quite violent. Um, you know, there's they, they throw each other into the cage. Hogan, I think, chokes Orndorff with his bandana at one point. They, they, uh, one of them, I think, Orndorff whips Hogan with the championship belt. Uh, there's a foreign object that gets scraped across someone's head. Uh, there's a little bit of, I think, blood in there. It's, it's, it doesn't pull any punches. 
I think it's one of the most rewatchable Hogan matches of all time. And, and obviously his library of rewatchable matches is not extensive. If you, I think, I think what you said is very fair. I mean, I, I, I was never, I mean, I can't sit here and, and say that I, uh, that I think Hogan was, uh, and, and not that you're saying this either, but I think the perception is that Hogan wasn't much of a worker, so to speak, that, uh, he didn't possess that skill set. I thought matches like this were a good example that when presented with the opportunity to do more than just the classic Hogan routine of, you know, start out in a, with a, with fists of fury, get beat down, Hulk up, big boot, leg drop, ball game. You know, when given the opportunity to expand beyond that formula, I always thought he did really well. So I actually prefer this match to... Uh, that I prefer this to the to the Hogan and Savage match at WrestleMania five, which I think is way too basic Hogan formula for uh, in terms of rewatchability. And I love the entire presentation of this, though, because that to me, you mentioned it earlier. I think it bears a reiteration here. You set the stage with knowing a little bit about this feud and then you see Paul Orndorff come out to real American I thought that was one of the, the when I when I was researching this uh, when I when I was researching my first book is when I really got turned on to this feud, and when I when he came out to Real American, I just thought that was the that was the most awesome thing. It's like he believes that he should be in that role, so he is commandeered the Rick Derringer classic tune Real American, and he comes out to it. So you hear a heck of a lot of Real American in the span of the 20 minutes that it takes to watch this from, from start to finish. But that plays right into uh, the whole dynamic. And one of my favorite things about it is, is the, is the faux finish, so to speak. And, and that to me is what separates this one from so many other Hogan matches where, you know, he, he got, he went through and and did his, you know, went through his selling of all the, of his opponent's offense dynamic, and then just pretty, handily defeated the guy Paul Orndorff not so much in this case I mean Paul Orndorff was a guy who he really struggled to beat they wrestled at the believe it or not they actually wrestled at the Saturday night's main event that we talked about last week that featured uh, Jake Roberts and 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 Ricky Steamboat that also featured a very good two out of three falls match between uh, the British Bulldogs and the Dream Team by the way so that's actually one of the greatest Saturday night's main event shows of all time the one from October 4th nevertheless Back on point. Uh, I get excited talking about this feud. This one's a lot of fun for me. But the finish basically showcases from a character point of view that Paul Orndorff may need everybody's help and every trick in the book to remain on an even keel with Hulk Hogan. But he did it nevertheless. And Hulk Hogan did ultimately win this match and go on to do everything that he did at WrestleMania 3 and beyond. But... The serious doubt that was put in play by the uh, by what well, should we spoil the finish or is the finish such an important part of the presentation that we should just sort of gloss over the exact details? Well, I tell you what, spoil the finish. But folks, if you don't want it spoiled, just skip ahead for a couple of minutes on the podcast. There you go. There you go. I'll, I'll, I'll make it quick. <laughs> they, they exit the cage at the same time and their feet hit the floor at the same time. The crooked ref, of course, Danny Davis, awards the decision to Orndorff, but, um, but a different referee. Ironically, I think it might have been one of the Hebners uh, 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 reported, the, <laughs> of rewarded, 
the decision to to Hogan, and so they had to restart the cage match. And that was a trope from the 1980s. You would see it here and there. I think there was a a Roddy Piper and Rick Rude match that that stemmed from their issue developed in the at the end of the Ultimate Warrior and 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 Rick Rude match where Piper gets involved toward the end of that and that segues into a feud between them and they 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 copy that finish or maybe this finish is copied from some other show that I'm not familiar with but nevertheless it was a trope that I thought worked really really well considering that the typical Hogan formula could be grading when you're looking back on it not being wrapped up in Hulkamania as a thing I am a bit of a sucker for um those kind of uh, false finishes where the match kind of gets restarted after the fact. Um, I think it can be overdone, and I'm not sure it works all the time. But when you get a match that's as lively and as... as because it's it's pretty content-heavy, this thing. I mean, for its time, you know, they do a lot of stuff for the time that they're, they're in the ring, both uh, before and after that, that restart. Um, compared to, uh, certainly it felt like anyway on a first watch, I haven't obviously watched it more than once, but uh, on a first watch, compared to the snake pit match we were discussing last week, it feels like it is that they, they cram a lot in, and it's not to the detriment of the match either. You know, it's wrestled at a pace, um, and so when you get that kind of energy and you get the, the, the electric vibes of... Um, of uh, the the crowd who know they're witnessing this this big payoff to this big rivalry that, as you said, has sold out 70,000 seats in Canada north of the border at one point. Um, I think it really adds to uh, a sense of hysteria in the atmosphere. Uh, and when you get when you get the kind of violence that this has as well, it feels like pandemonium to me and it's something that I think works really well in one of my favorite matches ever in Bret Hart and Diesel at the Royal Rumble in 95 gets restarted a couple of times uh, and it's another example of it just it, you get sucked into this this riot like atmosphere uh, and you hear you hear I mean you hear guys who are who are still living in the 80s like Jim Cornette for example always talk about how that kind of heat quote unquote isn't there in wrestling anymore you know you don't have fans wanting to jump the, the barrier and, and kick the crap out of the, the heel themselves um, and but nonetheless, it's it's and and you kind of roll your eyes when you hear that. Sometimes you think, "Come on, move with the times." But when you see a match like this and how effective it is, you can understand why there is still that heavy attachment to wanting to revisit a time when things could get this rabbit just simply through, you know, two guys touching the floor. And it's impeccably timed as well. I mean, one thing that I noticed is when they replay it, they put the clock on the the screen, which is something they wouldn't do sort of these days and it's still easy to doctor that I know but even so it's impeccably timed uh, and I even love the fact that um, uh, that because you've, you've kind of mentioned there as you've been talking the fact that it's not a typical Hogan match I find the I found the performances on both ends very generous to one another um, Hogan looks beatable which is more than can be said sometimes for some of his more famous matches Um uh, not least of all because of uh, the stipulation. You know, it's not like you've got to pin the guy here. You just need to escape the cage. Um, and the fact that when, I think when the, the eventual finish comes and Hogan does does go over the top, uh, I think Orndorff is still, he's like still crawling towards the door uh, as Hogan does that. Um, and so you get a real sense of, 
uh, of hunger from Orndorff. You know, this is a guy who who really, really wants to to beat Hogan, but also to become the champion. And that's something that I really appreciated about it as well. Is there's obviously a very intense sense of animosity that underpins it. Um, you know, Orndorff attacking Hogan from the off, uh, zealously and aggressively ripping him with the belt at one point, the urgency in his efforts to escape, though, very early on. You know, he doesn't waste any time in trying to escape very early on. He's got Danny Davis there as well as a crooked ref um, and Heenan trying to help him out. It feels like despite all of that very personal animosity, this is still ultimately about the championship. And over the last two weeks, we've often kind of waxed lyrical about what's so magnificent about these matches from the late 80s compared to today. I feel like this is another boon in, in this match's favour because today sometimes the title can begin to feel a bit like an afterthought in title feuds because they do overwrite a lot and they do overproduce a lot. And I talked last week about the art of the obvious, the art of simplicity. Uh, and I think that, again, this is, a, this is a match that even though, you know, they do a lot, even though it's got that false finish, it still ultimately feels to me... Uh, like a pretty simple and straightforward storyline. These two guys were friends. One of them got jealous, thinks he should be in the same spot, steals his music and wants to be champion. You know, it's it's that straightforward. And so, uh, and then they go, the rest of the story, you guys can tell in the ring. You guys can layer it up with what you do in the ring, which is then what they do. And they layer it up magnificently. Last week when we were talking about Ricky Steamboat, I mentioned that... Um... You know, he this was that that was a situation that played well to his strength. And I think that a, a way that you could sort of describe Paul Orndorff's strength as a wrestler for those that aren't that familiar with him. And I would gather that a lot of people listening really aren't that familiar with Paul agree. Orndorff is is intensity. You know, he, he was a very intense wrestler. And that that really it jumped off the screen when you watch matches like this is the guy is kind of relentless. He's got from a physical standpoint, Paul Orndorff was like a, a smaller, faster Hogan, but, you know, still jacked to the gills uh, by I mean, by all means. I mean, he was one of the in terms of, uh, you know, as Ric Flair always referred to it as the body of a wrestler. Uh, few people had a better physique than Paul Orndorff, but he also did a lot of aerial moves off the top rope. Not a lot of fancy stuff, but he still got up there and was doing almost like Rick Rude. Rick Rude wasn't an aerial wrestler, but he would add aerial tactics into his game. Um, and so Paul Orndorff was that way, but that was the thing that really translates so well in the Hogan feud is you can, I mean, he, as, as much as, and again, I reference the the more popular Mega Powers exploding feud and the intensity that Mitch, that, that Macho Man brought to that whole situation, and you could just kind of you could feel he hated Hulk Hogan when you watched those matches, and you could kind of feel that that Paul Orndorff really disliked disliked Hulk Hogan a lot. I mean, he I mean, it wasn't as obvious that he hated his guts because Paul Orndorff didn't have the ability. To really get beyond just intensity, it was just, it was, it was like an, a relentless attack, like you would see. Of um, what would be a good example here? Kind of like the Terminator. Paul Orndorff's the Terminator. He just keeps coming at you and coming at you and coming at you. Not a whole lot of expression involved with it, but an, a rabid intensity to accomplish his goal. And in this case, it's win the title at Hulk Hogan's expense, who he thinks is 
uh, you know, has, has basically tried to hold him down or in, in some way has held him back from achieving the, the level of success that he thinks he should have had. And that Paul, that, uh, that, that Bobby Heenan has been in his ear telling them that he should have had instead of Hogan. So it's, uh, it, it's a great Paul Orndorff performance. If you want to get an idea as to what he was about and why people, not many, obviously, but why people often do when they do know something about Paul Orndorff, speak of him well. Well, there you have it, folks. I mean, I can't think of a better note for us to, to end on there. I mean, we've we've talked a lot about how it's one of Hogan's better and more colorful matches, but it, it's also a match that highlights uh, Paul Orndorff's um, qualities as a performer as well. And certainly he's a performer that, if you are unfamiliar with him, is well worth going back and, and checking out, as I've found. So... Hulk Hogan defending the WWF Championship against Paul Orndorff in a steel cage match for the WWF Championship at Saturday night's main event, 3rd of January 1987. Well worth checking out for the, all the reasons that we've talked about on this show this week. Uh, Chad, thanks for joining me for the last two weeks. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. I hope you'll come back at some point in the future. Oh, man, I was just sitting here thinking I would love to come back. I, I'd do this anytime you want to have me on. I'm good for it, man. I'm, I think that talking about a, breaking down a pro wrestling match for for a half hour, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's as up my street as it is up yours. <laughs> there we go. Well, I look forward to having you on again. Um, if you've got any match suggestions, by the way, folks, that you would love to hear uh, either myself and any of my co-hosts, guest co-hosts that cycle in and out of this show now, including my good friend Doc here, uh, do let them be known on social media. Uh, Doc, where can people reach you? You can reach me at the Doc LOP on Twitter. Uh, you can also just respond to the things that I post on lordsofpain.net, whether it be the podcast or whether it be the occasional column, which I'm becoming lazier and lazier about writing. But aren't we both? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And of course, you can check me out in all the usual places that I plug each and every week here on Sports Entertainment is Dead. Tweet me at LOP Plan. Find me on Facebook. Look up Samuel Plan. You can email me at Samuel.Plan101 at gmail.com. Hit me up with a comment on lordspain.net on any of my columns or podcast posts or best yet find me at LOP forums free no obligations to sign up uh, and I would encourage anyone listening to this show who leaves comments on lordspain.net or the like to try the hand at writing their own columns it's where we all got our start uh, it's a tremendous community and it'd be fantastic to see you guys be a part of it so turn those fantastic comments we get into columns plenty of folks will help you iron out your skills build a skill set as a column writer uh, or if you want to just sit there and, and have some fun with it and share some opinions there'll be plenty of folks there as well who will uh, discuss your wrestling opinions with you it's a great place to be so do please sign up and finally just before i head off do Please join me again next week. Keep your eyes on those social media accounts for an announcement this coming week as to who will be on the show, as to what match we will be covering. One last thank you to my good friend, Doc Chad Matthews. Go buy his books. And until next week, have a good one and stay safe, guys.